Well, after spending most of the year in Mark, or in Matthew, I'm sorry, we have shifted over now to the Gospel of Mark, but it does seem like we're picking up right where we left off, doesn't it? As far as the narrative of Jesus' life goes, we are kind of in the same place uh, in the Gospel of Mark that we were in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, The details are a little bit different, but the aim of this passage is very similar to the place that we've been for the last several weeks. This passage marks the coming of the end, and it moves the reader into the following passion narrative. Each year... As we begin this new year, as we begin this Advent season, we are confronted by unexpected passages in our lectionary, if we follow the lectionary. This little passage is known as the Little Apocalypse, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke each have their own version of the Little Apocalypse. And so depending on which gospel we're in, each year as we come into Advent, we read one of these apocalyptic stories. It does seem a little strange. Most of us are stringing our house with lights and stringing our trees with lights and preparing for a holiday season, preparing for new life. We're looking for shepherds and heralds and angels. We're looking for a baby in a manger. But here we are at the beginning of the season and we're reading passages Like Isaiah saying, we want God to tear the heavens open. And Mark, having Jesus predicting the undoing of creation. Mark says, in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. The stars will be falling from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. We are in this season awaiting new life. And yet, strangely... We're here talking about destruction. Perhaps we here today are a little bit lucky. Because of where we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, this passage this morning doesn't jolt us quite as much as it might have. We've already been talking about Jesus' absence. We've already been talking about waiting and anticipating the coming of this Christ. And so the theme is the same. But the question remains, why do we start here? As we said, Advent marks the beginning of a new year on our Christian calendar. And we welcome this new year each year with this season devoted to hope. And we have hope because we know that God has already done something. We know that God has infiltrated our history, that God has acted in the past for our liberation and our freedom, and that God has created for us this home and then invited us even into the task of keeping and preserving it. And we have hope in this season because we also know that the world is not yet as it should be. We still contribute to the chaos in the world around us. We still hurt, and we still hurt one another. We still wage war. We still see pain and suffering, and we cause it. And so we hope because we know that God has come before, but we hope that he comes again. And we begin with these little apocalypses because we've seen things change. 
We know that things can change again. And for things to change, we have to acknowledge that some things have to die. It may seem like the world is ending. But we also know that this is where new life is beginning. And so speaking of the apocalypse, I'm going to give you a little prediction of the future. It's, uh, it's all in my control, so this isn't that startling. But at the end of the sermon, I'm going to predict that I'm going to actually ask you to speak out loud. I'm going to ask you to name the things that you are hopeful for. And so as a warm-up for that, I've got a question for you, and I really would like to invite some answers. When you hear the word apocalypse, what is it that you think of? Where does your mind go? I see a hand. Speak it up. When rocks are falling, it's an apocalypse. What a great answer. Thank you. Anybody else? Where does your mind go when you hear this word apocalypse? Fire and destruction. Zombies. Zombies. Awesome. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) Well, when the word apocalypse was first used, it did not mean zombies. Strangely enough, it actually meant to unveil. The word apocalypse means to uncover something. It means to reveal something. And so these apocalypses are actually revelations. The apocalypse, strangely enough, is not an event. It's a style of writing. It's a style of telling a story. And yes, these stories do contain vivid imagery that do contain things like violence and sometimes zombies in our modern world. But the reason that we begin our year and our season of Advent with these stories of apocalypse is because these stories are ultimately stories of hope. uh, Apocalyptic stories were born in a world that desperately needed hope. Our passage this morning from Isaiah 64 can help us shed a little bit of light on this. Listen again to the way that, that that passage ends. Isaiah says, Our holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, your temple, God. Where our people praise you has been burned by fire. And after all of this, God, why do you restrain yourself? Why do you keep silent? Why do you still punish us? So this passage was written about 600 years before the passage from the Gospel of Mark. It was written after the people were exiled. It was written when they were coming back into the promised land. They were actually allowed to return home. But what they found when they returned home after generations is that everything that they had had was destroyed and been neglected for generations. And so this was a people that had seen God act, but a people that was still in need of hope. And so the prophet begins his passage He says, God, tear open the heavens and come down so that mountains quake. As when a fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, make your name known to our enemies so that nations tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked. It's these kinds of prophetic utterances 
to give birth to the apocalyptic tradition. A prophet cries out for God to come and to make things right, to restore the people to the land and the land to its fruitfulness. A prophet begs God to show up, to remember the past when God had acted, and the prophet calls for God to act again. There is an interesting turn in this passage from Isaiah, though. There comes a moment in which this prophet realizes that the chaos that his people are suffering isn't all because of an enemy. The prophet says, we have all become like one who is unclean. Our righteous deeds are really just a filthy cloth. We fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And so the prophet realizes that he and his people have contributed to this situation. And when he makes this realization, he doesn't call for God to tear open the heavens and punish him and his people. The voice changes just a touch. The prophet says, God, you're our father. We are clay and you are a potter. We are all the work of your hand. Don't let your anger burn so strongly, God. Do not remember our injustice forever. Look at us. We are your people. And so in this passage, this prophet changes his tone. He goes from demanding a God as warrior, tearing open the skies and punishing the enemy, to naming God as a loving parent and as a loving, loving potter. Asking God to be patient, to shape, and to mold the people. And so as time passed, from this writing from Isaiah, 600 years go on to Mark's writing. And as the centuries wore on, the situation for the people of Israel did not change a whole lot. As you know, these Persians became Greeks, and the Greeks became Ptolemies, and the Ptolemies became Seleucids, and the Seleucids became Romans. And the people were always under somebody else. The domination continued. And in order to continue to inspire hope, the prophetic pleas sometimes became apocalypse stories, revelations of God, revelations of the character of a God who saves. And so instead of calling God to come down, to break through into our world, these stories start to say that God has already acted, that God has already come, that God has already done everything that we need for victory. Maybe the world still doesn't look the way it should. Maybe victory isn't fully realized here in this moment. But these stories inspired hope in a people that were still waiting. Again, they found that God had acted for freedom and for liberation, and they knew that God could act again. And so in Mark's little apocalypse... Jesus closes with a parable that should have sounded a little bit familiar to you. It's about a master going, on away, going away on a journey and leaving his slaves to do the work. And Jesus says to the disciples, therefore keep awake. You do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn or else he may find you asleep when he comes. This parable does echo some of the parables we've talked about in the last few weeks, the bridesmaids and the sheep and the goats and the cruel master. The themes of anticipation and readiness 
are still in this parable. But in Mark's gospel, Jesus names these four watches of the night, and this is a new element for us. What's interesting about these four watches of the night is that in the very next chapter, Mark uses them again. When Mark tells the story of Jesus' passion, he names each of these watches. The Last Supper begins in the evening. And then as Jesus prays in Gethsemane, the disciples' eyes grow heavy because it was midnight. And then at the time of the cock crow, Peter denied Jesus for the third time. And finally, at dawn, Jesus is handed over to the Gentile authorities by the Jewish authorities. And he's sentenced to death. Pastor and president of Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, a man named David Lose, comments that Mark's use of these hours, both in the parable and then both in the uh, description of the passion, means that the meaning of these two things are linked. It means that for Mark, the apocalyptic expectations expressed in the parable are met by Jesus in the crucifixion. Pastor Lowe says that Mark intentionally depicts Jesus as declaring that his return, when the heavens shake and the sun is darkened, occurs precisely at the moment that he is nailed to the cross and our breath is taken away. As we see God's love poured out for us and for all the world. As we begin this Advent journey here in this place, as we move towards Christmas Day and the celebration of the birth of the Christ child, we begin with these passages in order to confess our own hope. We begin with these passages to declare to the world and to ourselves that the world is in desperate need of change. And to admit to ourselves that sometimes that change has to start with us. That if we want this world to change, then something must be destroyed. And often that's our own hatred and our own anger, our own fear and our own shame. And so in a moment, as I predicted, I'm going to open a time of communal prayer. And in this time, I do invite you to name and to confess your hope. We have hope for this world and hope for our future because we know that God has come. We know that God has acted for our liberation, that God has acted for our freedom, that God has acted for our salvation. But we also know that this world is not yet what it could be. And so we're going to name our hope. Whatever situation you see in the world, whatever situation you see in your own heart, in your own relationships, I invite you to name those things today. What is it that you want to see restored? What is it that has you desperate for redemption? What is it that needs the healing touch of God to bring back shalom? And so as we open this time of prayer, you have the opportunity to name all of this. And then at the end of this time of prayer, we will bring all of those things to this table. What hope has been revealed and what hope has been retained for you? I'll open the prayer up, but I do want to give you two little notes as we begin. First, I want to remind you that this is a streamed service. 
So privacy, your own privacy and the privacy of your loved ones is important as you name your prayers. And second, some people will pray for solutions to big problems in our world that you don't necessarily agree with. There are a lot of complicated things going on in this world today. And people have different ideas about how to fix them. And so if you hear a prayer today that you don't necessarily agree with, the invitation is for you to contemplate, to think, to open yourself up, and to pray for the shalom that you know your neighbor is praying for as well. And so let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, creator of the universe who gives us life and who sustains our lives and brings us together here in this very moment, in this place, online, and with our brothers and sisters that gather around the world. God, as this Advent season begins, we gather here to name our hope. We gather to witness that which you've already done for us and for this world that you have created. And we gather to confess and to cry out for those places in this world in which we desperately wait for you to come, in which we desperately wait for you to act again. And so we pray to you as a body here in this place and with our siblings around the world. And as our divine parent, we know that you care for us and that you care for this world deeply. And we know that this world is not as it could be. And so today, God, we name it. God is the one who tears open the heavens and recreates all. God is potter. God is parent. We pray to make all of these things right. Feel free to name your hope. For peace on earth. Sorry? Peace in homes. For a solution to the violence that we see all around the world, but most especially in Ukraine and in Gaza and Israel. Spiritual and physical healing. healing of mental illnesses. caring and compassion when it comes to human beings that we see as other. Gracious God, there's a lot. There's a lot that's wrong with this world, but there's so much that you have already made right. So we ask you, God, to continue to make things right, to make things right in our own hearts and to make things right in this world in which you've given us. 
We bring all of these things to you today, those that we have named and those that we have held, but we still feel. We ask God that when our hope starts to run dry, that you would pour into us your spirit once again, especially beginning with this meal that we're about to share. It's in your name, God, in the name of your son and through your spirit that we pray. Amen.